And this is Colossians 1, 1 through 2, and 28 and 29. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously, strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. This is the word of God. Good morning. Let's just begin by praying. Let's pray. If you're new to Jesus or church, prayer is a simple way God has provided for humans to acknowledge him and connect with him, speak with him. So let's do that. Holy Spirit, come. Heavenly Father, we recognize your goodness in the scriptures and through the character of Jesus, and we recognize your goodness through the goodness of your children. Thank you for all of it. We give thanks for all of it. You came to us, and now you invite us to come to you as a response. So here we are responding Have your way, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, good morning. If if you're new or visiting, my name is Evan. Uh, My wife, Sandy, and I have the honor of leading this church. Today, we start a new series in the book of Colossians. So why Colossians? Every spring, Sandy and I get away to a monastery. Just a little background on why. Why are we even here? We get away in this place in New Mexico, just miles off the road, uh, for the purpose of praying and for for vision for this church. It is a hard trip every year. (laughs) It is a hard uh, work of spiritual practice. And every year we come away with sort of a big picture vision for the following calendar year that we bring then to the elder team. And then the elders listen to what we have to say. They listen to one another. They listen to you and they listen to the Holy Spirit. And they speak into it all through the summer. And then slowly over summer, we as an elder team help shape the next year. What should the next year focus on as a church? And we submit to the Spirit as best as we know how. And so the big picture that we sense God kind of rallying us around is this idea of God's thoughts. Thinking God's thoughts. Or in Paul's words, we have the mind of Christ. Did you know this? As followers of Jesus, we have direct access to the mind of Christ through the Spirit. And so we want to think those thoughts that come from his mind. We want to be formed, or in Paul's word in Colossians, like Ashley just read, we want to be matured by the mind of Christ. Over all the other competing voices out there, there's a lot of minds out there. (laughs) There's a lot of voices And long story short, we believe the Holy Spirit is drawing us to Paul's letter to the Colossians, because Colossians was specifically written, you know, by Paul to a young church to help them become more mature in Christ, to help them hear the voice and the mind of Christ over and above all the other voices. That's as simple as I can say it. That's as simple as I can put it. So for us, for Park Hill Church, 2023 is a year of immersing ourselves in God's thoughts, the mind of Christ, through, very practically, through bread, 
How many of you have been able to pick up a bread journal? I guess there was a limited run. There's some hands. We have bread journals where we're all reading through the New Testament and praying through the New Testament together as a church. The new copies of bread will be available next Sunday. Sorry. Um, And also through the House of Learning and, and through Colossians. This is all for your maturity and mine. Our maturity, our formation into Christ-likeness. Because we believe as we become more like Christ by the Spirit's power, our city will experience God. And so today, the goal is just to introduce you to Colossians. We'll unpack the first 12 verses next Sunday. We'll actually dive into the chapter. So where to begin? Okay, Colossians is a letter. How many of you knew that? Colossians is a letter. Okay, a couple of you. That's great. Uh, I saw maybe four hands. This is good news then. You're learning new things. Just kidding. Um, So Colossians is a letter written by Paul from jail. And don't think modern prison. Think like Count of Monte Cristo, like the worst prison imaginable. I don't know if you've seen Jim Caviezel, Count of Monte Cristo. Think like AD 60s, muddy stone walls. Maybe you see a face every year. And, And Paul's writing to a little church in the ancient city of Colossae. And he's writing from jail to this little church, which is right, there's the church in Colossae. So Christianity starts, Jerusalem, Damascus, Antioch, and it's, it's rolling its way through Europe. And um, ancient Colossae was big, Colossae. It was wealthy, a lot like San Diego, big city, a lot of, a lot of affluence. Here's a picture of Colossae today. There it is. So not much going on. It's buried underground for some reason. And next, next slide. Next, you have the next one. There it is. There's some, there's some stuff. And so, the good, so that's about it. That's all that's going on, which is interesting when you think about cities. Cities come and go, but this letter to that city has not faded. So, so the good news is, I, I think it's interesting. They finally got permission to dig into that. Can you go back to that, like, just barren hillside picture? Do you have that picture? Anyways, yeah, even there or the one before. They finally got permission to dig it up. After 2,000 years, the Archaeological Society of Turkey or whatever finally said, all right, let's start digging things up. So um, they're breaking ground in 2023. So you could, you could say that we are digging into Colossians this year. Uh, sorry. I know. Hey, guys, I am not a fan of puns. I, I want to bet just now, though. I, I, I'm... Staff bet me to do that, and I wait, dared me with money. So I have $20 coming my way. No, I'm a dad. I'm like solid dad, so I deserve, I deserve another one for the database. Anyways, maybe that doubles my money. I don't know. So Colossians is written to this young church. I'm so sorry for that. I feel very bad. No, I'm just kidding. No, I feel great. Colossians was written to a young church. They're starting out. They're immature. Paul's never seen this church. This is one of the churches Paul's never been to. He didn't plant it. His friend Epaphras planted it. And this little church apparently has maturity issues, and they want to grow. And, and they want to do this thing called following Jesus, but they have gaps. How many of us have gaps to fill in our faith, in our questions, in our journey with Jesus? These, these guys had mostly gaps. That's what they had. And they don't even know what following Jesus means. So Paul writes this letter to a church he's never met on how to mature in Christ. And one thing Paul's aware of is that there are other methods out there for maturity. 
There's other religions and other hot takes on what's the wise and healthy way to live. And what we're going to hear Paul say for the next like couple of months, quarter one, all through Colossians, he says, the true wisdom of Christ is the only thing able to bring human beings into full maturity. There's great ideas out there, but only, only the true wisdom that comes from the person of Jesus encompasses all the good and true and beautiful things. This is what he's saying. So Jesus followers, by definition, are people who align with Jesus on reality. Jesus is the ultimate source of all things, and he gets to define what's true and good and beautiful, and Jesus followers say, I agree. I agree with you on what's true, good, and beautiful. This is the basic foundation Paul's laying down for this young church. This is the path to maturity. And I love how N.T. Wright sums this up. He says about Colossians, it's not about what sort of religion have you got. This is about who's Jesus. This is really where Paul's taking this young church because they're like, which ideology is the best? No, 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 it's a person. And ultimately for Paul, the death and resurrection of the Messiah Jesus has made us his new creation people. Renewed humans already sharing in the strange power of the new creation in our lives and looking forward to the ultimate hope of new creation when Jesus finally fully returns. And so until then, Paul writes this letter for two reasons, two main reasons. Number one is gratitude, specifically gratitude prayer. How many of you practice gratitude prayer? It's all through this letter, you guys. This letter is all about thanksgiving, gratitude prayer. Just look at Paul's opening line. In verse three, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. That's how he opens the letter, and he keeps beating that drum. It carries through the whole letter. If there's one thing that marks out Colossians from all the other New Testament books, it's this constant emphasis on thanksgiving. Paul wants Colossae and San Diego and whatever wherever you live in your neighborhoods to be overwhelmed with gratitude for the true and living God. Not just we serve him out of fear, but we celebrate and give thanks because the creator God has been revealed. God the creator has chosen to come down the mountain. Not demand that we come up the mountain and find him, but he's come down to us through Jesus and he rescued us and he keeps transforming us. He's committed to your transformation. He's committed to your maturity. And he promises to empower you when you're at the wit's end, at the end of yourself. And by the way, all this is wild when you think of Paul's circumstance, right? The muddy floor of an ancient prison writing the ultimate gratitude letter. Because why? He sees reality according to Jesus. He's like, these bars, these stones, this rancid food and my just in rat-infested conditions are nothing. Of course, they're something. But in comparison, they're nothing. And because Paul's attitude is this way, we can live radically thankful. As people, thankful in everything, despite everything, we can be thankful. In everything, despite everything, we can be thankful people. Thankful for what God has done in the past, faithful track record, what he will do. He will not break his promises to his people. And thankful right now, not just past and future, but right now you get to live as God's child alongside people who call Jesus Lord. 
through whatever you're facing. And this gratitude fuels the second reason why Paul writes. And number two is, I've said it a lot, I'm gonna keep saying it all day, your spiritual maturity. That is the second reason that Paul writes this letter. Colossians 1, 28 through 29, Ashley read it, here it is again, it sums up the main point. He, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I'll be honest with you guys, that's why I'm in this. That's like the classic pastor's life verse. This is why Sandy and I planted Park Hill. This is why we show up week in and week out. All the sermon prep, all the community discussion guides, and empowering leaders and building out staff. It's because Jesus is the one we proclaim through admonishing and teaching. Why? So that he may present all of us fully mature. That's why I'm in this. And, and like Paul, to that end, I strenuously contend. <laughs> this thing's hard. With all the energy Christ powerfully works in me. That's why I'm here. You see, in the verse before that, Paul he talks about a mystery. That word mystery is fascinating. In the Bible, mystery is something hidden now revealed through God's purpose and plan. And so what's the mystery? It's Christ in you, and that's the hope of glory. So, so what does that mean? That means the creator God has chosen to dwell in us, individually and as a body. That's, that, that great mystery for millennia, which was hidden, it's now the revealed hope. It anchors your future. So when you admit your need for Jesus, if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, welcome. Should you decide to admit your need for Jesus' forgiveness today, you will join a family that, that listens to Jesus on life and on sin. Jesus has teachings about what's true and what's good. And we all, as a body, say we agree. We agree with Jesus. And then guess what? God's spirit then dwells in you, which guarantees that you will always and forever be a loved daughter or loved son of God, and you'll have the power to live like it. Because this is, this is what it means to have the great mystery of all time revealed in our body. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And one day Jesus will come back to judge everything with his perfect wisdom and love. And until then, we live into that mystery. And my job as pastor, and your job is pastoring each other, and you pastoring me as a family, is to strenuously contend for our spiritual maturity. That's our job until Christ returns. So don't settle for immaturity. Don't settle for living against the life of Jesus. Why would you want to? I mean, now that you're a child of God and he's declared his love over you and you belong forever in his family, why would you revert and return to living like you're part of the old kingdom that's fading away? The call now is to live into maturity, into your identity, which is already in Christ, beloved child. So, if Colossians is all about our maturity, then this text assumes a few things. We are coming to Colossians knowing that this letter assumes a few things. What does this letter assume? Number one, 
This text assumes a purpose, like an ultimate purpose. You know, the ultimate, what's the meaning of life question? This text assumes it. This text assumes an ultimate goal, a telos, a final destination of our lives, the ultimate meaning. And uh, I've already said what it is. It's to be fully mature. Christ-like. You could say your, your purpose, your me, the meaning of your life is to become Christ-like fully. This is your goal. This is why you're here. This is why I'm here. And Paul says, this is why I proclaim Christ admonishing and teaching you so that everyone would achieve their goal. This is the reason for all of it. Look around. This is the reason we rent this building and we have resources at the table and we put coffee in the urns, whatever they're called. And uh, coffee urns, that's what I was, I worked in a deli once and we called them urns. That sounds like dead people, but, um, but we, this is the reason why we have set up Teardown and staff. The, the whole community group, this is why we stick it out through the drama of church. This is why we encourage you to commit to a community group even when the whole first year feels like it's incompatible. Behind all that we do as a church, there's a goal. The goal is that Christ would be fully formed in you and you would be fully mature that we would all become like Christ, that we would act and react like Jesus, that following Jesus would come naturally, like automatically, that we'd become Christ-like. We're turning the other cheek and being generous. If someone asks you to go one mile, you go with them too. If someone curses you, you don't curse them back. You don't cuss them out. You bless them. When someone does evil to you, you don't do evil back. You do good. And it's, and it's where all of that flows out of your life automatically, naturally. Let me get, now, some of you are like, how is this even possible, Evan? <laughs> That's crazy. That does, none of that's natural. Who's that natural for? So let me give you an illustration, because at this point you're like, is Evan for real? So let me illustrate. Think about when you were first learning to drive. We have two adult children drivers in our home now. So Gavin, you're actually, I don't know if he's in the room. Gavin turns 21 today. He's 21. And my, my second son is 18, and he got his license last year. And so I remember Jaden. He's, he's driver's ed. I'm sitting in the car with him and he's learning to drive. I remember when he was first learning and I'm like, okay, now do this. No, no, don't do that. And like, oh, I forgot. Make sure the signal happens. Look over your shoulder. No, not, not that shoulder. You know, it's like, and I'm remembering all these things that I'm supposed to do that I don't think about. But he's getting overwhelmed because he's, this is way too much. This is crazy. And so he's driving at five miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour neighborhood or 20, whatever, and he's going like seven. And I'm like, you can go faster. He's like, nope. <laughs> like, I'm not going faster. Uh, and so uh, that dr- I'm, I'm like, man, I'm, I feel bad for Jaden. Driving is a lot. I've never really like, picked it apart. <laughs> There's so many pieces to driving. I just forgot how complicated it is. Uh, and because when I drive, I do all of that stuff naturally. I do it intuitively. I'm sure you do too, if you've been driving for more than a couple years. I do it naturally. I know where the blinkers are. I know how to check all the mirrors and glance to the left to change lanes and, and plug in my iPhone all in one second at 65 miles an hour. You know what I mean? Like I, I, and I know, 
I know the things they don't tell you in driver's ed, like the yellow light lasts longer at a higher speed limit, so you, can, you, can, you don't have to worry as much. Or, and I also know that if you see, if you see the, the, red, the green light perpendicular to you, you can count the crosswalk to see when your green light will come. You're like, three, two. <laughs> like, I know that now. You know, there, and I just assume that. That's just in my bones. And it's all second nature. Therefore, I, as a fully formed driver, I get to my telos, I get to my destination more times than not. <laughs> right? Like 99.99999% of the time, everything is good. I still have my moments. I have a handful of speeding tickets in 25 years and a couple of fender benders in my, in my two and a half decades as a driver. But the vast, vast, vast majority of the time, I get in the car, I can get to my goal in a mature, safe way because I am a fully mature driver. I'm there, I've arrived. I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. It's in my body, so I get to my goal more than not. You get the point. In a very similar way, the telos, the goal of this local church is to proclaim Christ in such a way that Christ is fully formed in you to where the teachings of Jesus are lived out in our lives naturally automatically, to where we live the way of Jesus and his Christ-like character flows from our lives. Our money and our greed, our sexuality and our lust, our anger and our pride, our work and our rest. It's where all these things align with the way of Jesus to the point that, you guys, our motivation isn't even self-serving. It's not even like, oh my gosh, I am just so generous this Sunday. You don't even do that. You're just generous. Because delighting in God is your default mode. You don't even think about being generous because it's become natural to you. Just like you don't think of how good of a driver you are. You don't pull up to your friend's house and be like, I got from my house to yours so well. Like, you don't do that. You do it without even thinking. It just flows out. What's your motivation? Life. Your motivation is just life. Getting what you need, being there for people, just life in the kingdom, driving around doing life. As followers of Jesus, this is the purpose and goal of our lives. Now, show of hands, when it comes to automatic Christ-likeness, how many of you are there? No one's fully arrived. Not surprising. Even Paul said, I have not attained. I keep pressing on because no one is there. That's the point. That's why there's this. Church, this church is messy, you guys, so complex. When I was writing this sermon, I was tempted to go down the rabbit hole about how complex this church is and give you like anonymous examples, but then I started getting anxious and depressed, so I cut it out. <laughs> this church is so complex. As a, a church our size in our city that meets in 30 to 40 homes through the week, it's so complex. And all the complexity comes down to this. We're all here because we want to be formed into the image of Christ, and we believe Jesus does this in the local church. Then this gets expressed out from church, one church word, there it is, gets expressed out from church into the city by the Holy Spirit as we live as Christ's body in our time and place. This means we as a body act like Jesus to the city. That's, that's our desire. Do you desire that? Do you believe that? Is that slide what you want? And if not, what's stopping you? 
This is the way it works. This is the goal of this whole thing. And it flows from Christ being formed in us. And the hope of watching Christians grow into this is a lot like parent. if you're a parent, watching your kids mature. You want the kids in your house to mature. We want the kids at Park Hill Kids across the way to mature. We want the kids at Royal Family Kids Camp. Kids that are in our care for a moment from the foster system. We want them to grow and mature so that all of these kids can become creative participants in society. A mature follower of Jesus is to become a creative participant in the inbreaking kingdom of God. That's the whole point, to live lives of witness and justice and mercy and peace and healing for the sake of the world. This letter assumes this purpose, your maturity. Colossians assumes this is what you want. If you're coming to this letter, this is what you want. Are we in? And this text also assumes process, not just a purpose, but a process. Thank God, right? The letter to the Colossians assumes nobody is there yet. We are not fully mature. Christ is not fully formed in me, but I'm on the way. So Paul says he's proclaiming Christ in this letter by admonishing and teaching, meaning we're not there. So welcome to the process. Welcome to the mess. We're here for it, if you are. Where you and I, but in this mess, you and I have to do things. This is the process. It's a process where we do, we do things. We have things to learn, things to correct. There's gaps to fill. There's sins to become aware of and repent of. We have wrong ways of thinking that we have to change. This text assumes this journey. It assumes this process where you have to do things and change things in order to move forward. So in this process, can we be clear about this? There are things that must be done in your life. You can't say, oh, I'm not there yet, and not be up for rebuke. So, so I'm getting ahead of myself. That's not how it works. There's things that need to be done. You don't just become a Christian, and then you're done. Like, oh, I'm a Christian, and suddenly you're becoming more like Christ just by breathing or whatever. It's not the way it works. Things that need to be done to you, for you, and with you to move you on in maturity. So to illustrate from our family again, Friday is our Sabbath in our house, and we can say that we Sabbath, and we can say that it's worshipful and connected and relational, but we're not, if we're not intentional, our family of seven can easily be all together alone in our house, which is not Sabbath. That's just screen time. As the kids and adults slowly drift away from each other into their own digital rooms and screens and cartoons and Nintendo Switches and phones, and none of that is bad in itself, but to move forward into deeper maturity and Sabbath worship, Sandy and I, we, we did this on Friday. We will rally everyone and be like, okay, everyone, shoes on, we're going on a walk. If you live here, we're walking. And, and there might be some resistance, like, ah, as we pull, as we peel their eyes off a screen, but then, or, or my eyes, but then we walk. And by the end of last Friday, Sabbath, one of our littles uh, was sad that we couldn't stay out longer as the sun was setting. And that's a win. That's the result of intentional formation, deeper relationship, a little bit more maturity. And, and you guys, that's not only possible, it's necessary for you and me. It's not just, oh, I could do that. No, you must do that. We must do this. 
In the same way, there are things that can and must be done in, in my spiritual development and your development as follower of Jesus that brings you into maturity. It's not just possible, it's necessary. Which is why Paul uses these two words, admonishing and teaching. Look at that verse again, see the underlined parts. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone. Um, what does admonish mean? That word, it means to warn or rebuke false narratives. To rebuke wrong actions and patterns. Basically, admonishing means to tell you where not to go and what not to do. We don't like this. We don't like being rebuked. We like therapy. Listen, nothing against therapy. I, I do it. I will do it all my life. Big fan. Done it for years. Will continue. Therapy is an important part of your journey. But therapists don't typically, I, I could be wrong, Greg could correct me as a therapist. Th therapists don't typically rebuke you. If my therapist was like, Evan, I'm just going to say your behavior is a little out of line with the teaching of Jesus. I'm going to rebuke you right now. Maybe they would do that. I've never experienced that. I'd be like, hey, wait, I'm paying you too much to rebuke me. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, aren't you going to like ask me helpful questions and remind me everyone's, that I struggle along with everyone and, and I'm not unique or whatever? Um, again, that totally has a place. Therapy has an essential place in the spiritual journey. But rebuking is something different. We need rebuking. We need people to say, Evan, the way you are thinking about this does not align with the way of Jesus. We need this. Full stop. This is a part of our development. Because we're such a therapeutic culture and we don't want to come across like know-it-alls, we don't want to rebuke each other. But this is very much what it means to lead and be led in God's kingdom. Do people make mistakes and abusively rebuke, which is not a rebuke, it's just abuse? Absolutely people do that. Because it's supposed to be done in love and in humility, and too often those things are not together, and that's when you get into spiritual abuse, and there's a whole other process for dealing with that. But none of that takes away from the healthy reality that we need rebuke in our lives. There's no pathway to maturity without admonishment, without rebuke. We, I need this. I need to live in a community where I've made a shared agreement. In basics, we call this a two-way street of relational authority, where we've both agreed together, me and my community, to receive rebuke when our lives move out of step with the way and teachings of Jesus. So admonishing, receiving rebuke is essential to the process of spiritual maturity. The other part of the process is teaching. Admonishing and teaching. So if admonishing is telling you where not to go, then teaching is forming you in the way you should go. Teaching is saying, hey, this is the way Jesus sees this issue. Or hey, this is how we act in the body of Christ. This is teaching. Admonishing is not this. Teaching is but that. And Colossians assumes this process where both rebuke and teaching are at the center of our shared life. So Paul writes this letter to remind the church that there's no area of your life that discipleship to Jesus will not influence and touch and just overwhelm in a beautiful way. Which is why we'll always give priority to teaching on Sundays. We'll never stop teaching on Sundays. And not just Sundays, but we're introducing house of learning 
Every last Sunday of the month at night, the last Sunday night of the month, we're giving ourselves to a dinner and dialogue and a speaker and, and breakout groups a whole night pondering the reality of Jesus on X issue. You're invited to the first house of learning the last Sunday of January. You can sign up at the Connect Desk. It's going to be amazing. I think this year is going to be amazing. Year of teaching. So in third and finally, this text assumes a struggle. There's admonishing, there's teaching, and my goodness, it's a fight. Paul says, I strenuously contend. I fight with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. In other words, Paul's like, I've used up my energy. I need Jesus now. This fight is so hard, I have nothing left. And now Jesus has to be my strength. Paul did that. To teach the church how to mature, Paul spent himself. And now he needs Jesus to carry him. What does this tell us? What does that make you feel like? It makes me feel like this is not supposed to be easy. This text assumes we will have to contend for our maturity. This will not be easy. It's not easy for pastors as we help people toward maturity while working on ourselves and staying vulnerable with the people that God has pastoring us. And it's not easy for any of us as we move toward maturity. The tension is real. You guys, the struggle is real because the gravity is always pulling us down, pulling us from what we say we value and what we say we want to become like Jesus and what we really want to do. And that's life in the kingdom. There's gravity pulling us from those things. The struggle to keep Christ the center is just that. It's a struggle. And it requires contending. But let me tell you, it is worth the fight. As a church, we will have to contend for the way of Jesus living in San Diego. If we want to become full, mature followers of Jesus, really holding to that radical middle of both justice and Christian orthodoxy, pouring ourselves out for San Diego, that will take so much struggle. Holding things in tension. It'll be so difficult to stay faithful to the historic Christian teaching on sex and one man, one woman marriage while also being radically inclusive of the LGBTQ community in the life of this church. It will take humble listening and learning and it'll take relentless submission to the authority of scripture, both It'll be so difficult to hold both of those things together as a whole community of Jesus followers, but we have to contend. We have to. Contending for your own practices, your own practice of reading scripture, your own practice of fasting and Sabbath and showing up for a week of prayer and fasting during Lent this March, it will feel like you're fighting for this. Why did it feel like that? It's the first week of bread this week, and it's like fighting. The, it's the first six days of 360 or whatever, and it's already a fight. Serving with your time when it's easier just to give money. It'll be a fight. Or flip it around, giving your money sacrificially when it's, you just don't see how it could be possible. That's a fight. All of this will feel like you have to contend strenuously. These things don't come easy. I have to fight for them. So as we enter quarter one of 2023 and we take on Colossians as a church, I ask you if you're up for this. Are you up for this? Here's the slide. If you're up for it. Our purpose. 
There's the three words. Our purpose as a congregation is that we would be fully mature in Christ, that we would together be committed to a process of spiritual formation toward Christ-likeness, and that we realize this will not be easy, but we are here for it. We are here for the struggle. Do you believe this? Do you want this? And if not, why not? I feel like Peter in Christ's presence. Where else shall I go? Only with you are the words of life. Well, this is, this is what it means to be with Jesus. And so just to bring this home, I want to sort of name where we're at in the story. So I introed Colossians, and now just to conclude, I just want to, just to continue the driving metaphor, I want to drop a pin, okay? Here's where we're at. To do that, I want to reflect back to, hopefully I don't trigger anyone, I want to reflect back to pre-COVID, or old normal, whatever words you want. Sorry, I feel... And as, in doing this, listen, think back to, and I mean, so think back to 2020, and I mean the early part, you know, like the January through February part. <laughs> and our church is barely, barely two years old, and there's tons of people showing up on Sundays, and I'm super excited about this new series we're launching, First Corinthians. I don't know if you're here for that. And so I preach from First Corinthians chapter one. It's all about church unity and being united under Christ, and what does Christian unity look like, and what does it look like not to be driven by celebrity church, but a spirit-driven church, and you guys, it was feeling good. Everyone's like nodding, and we're like, yeah, we're unified, and not to mention, it was a whole nother lifetime ago, but we're unified. Churches all over San Diego felt unified, and, and we felt unified. Our community groups felt united, and I'm not gonna lie, my preaching felt on point, you know? I just felt like I was... I felt like it was strong. This is going to be the best series. And, and uh, like, this is perfect timing. I really, and I'm like, our leadership team really hears from God. That's, I'm just, it's firing on all cylinders until it didn't fire anymore, honestly. Because then we hit this global pandemic thing. And we had all these plans and all these ways we were going to live out our vision or on unity or whatever. And then it all got hijacked. Or did it? Or did it get hijacked? See, here's the thing about spiritual formation. You don't control your own formation. There are things you can do to show up for your own formation, but you don't control it. God is always conspiring with what's going on in your life to bring about your formation. The reality is you and I don't control our spiritual growth or our maturity process. I was silly. I was silly for thinking I was going to be the one to like speak the golden words and lead our church into more growth and more maturity through my words or whatever. And our church would be the mature church that would bring renewal to San Diego when really God wanted to bring renewal and maturity in here. Not out there, but in here. And we learned how deeply divided we actually were. God wanted to root that out. How difficult it is for us to grieve. God wanted us to mature us in our ability to grieve and to express what we're sad about and mad about, not just what we're glad about and pumped about. That's called maturity. Not everyone was here for that. 
We still haven't seen the numbers in attendance on a Sunday since those early months. Not everyone's here for that. There's been this huge renewal, though, in the life of our church since then. I'm thrilled about that. Huge maturity has taken place. There was a prophecy, a word that was spoken over Park Hill in our early months planting Park Hill. I don't know if you were here in 2017. In our first prayer meetings, a woman spoke a word over our leadership that Park Hill Church would be, quote, a lean church. And she was quick to say, and by lean, I don't mean, it's not about numbers, although it will probably not be mega, which I'm fine with, 100%. But she said, I don't mean numbers, but when I say lean, think muscles. In a lean body, when you say move, all the muscles know what to do. Every part of the body knows what to do. A lean body is an efficient body in a very healthy way. A mega body can be a sedentary body in a lot of ways, especially when you talk church, where people just get by by sort of attending or finding a cozy spot on the couch. There is not a cozy seat in this room. (laughs) David knows. That's not the case with the lean body. Every part moves, every part's ready to get up and go for the good of the other parts. And I believe that's what Park Hill's gonna be. That's what this woman said. And that's what's happened. And it took the last three years to see that realized. Because I believe God has matured us toward leanness in the most beautiful way these past years in a way no teaching series could have accomplished. Not a chance. God has brought actual literal maturity into this room like, like, if you've been here since three years ago, have you noticed how our Sunday gatherings have a lot more generational diversity now? Yes. Spiritual fathers and mothers, spiritual grandfathers, people that have lived two lifetimes in the Spirit that are ready to impart that to anyone who's hungry. We have this now. It's new. That's a new thing, an answer to deep prayer. I recently had coffee with a church member in his mid-70s who wanted to talk with me about church and life and some thoughts he has about the life of our church. Gold. I can't believe I got that privilege. So, question, so here's the final, the final thought, and then we'll come to the table. You, we, will either, we will either align ourselves to God's process of maturing us or we'll be the biggest obstacle to the maturity God's bringing. The choice is ours. You will either align yourself to God's process of maturing you or you will be the biggest obstacle to the maturity God is bringing you. The choice is yours. So as we step into this moment as a church, and what we're ultimately trying to do is saying yes to maturity in Christ, aligning ourselves with his life and way. And I'm asking you if you're here for it. And if so, we are here for you. We are here for each other. We're in this thing together. And uh, next week we begin with the text of Colossians 1. Just know the struggle is real. Our purpose is maturity, and yet God is with us for the process. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? Remind, remind us how good you are. Remind us how much you love us and how much you're with us and how much you're bringing people into our lives to communicate from so many different angles how for us you, you are and for your purpose in the world through us. We say yes to you now. Before we come to the table, 
we want to pray and we want to give thanks for all that you are and all that you've done and, and what you want to do. What you want to do. Show us, Lord. Show us, Father. So now before we come to the table, we are going to pray. If there is anything in your heart that's prompting you to respond to the Holy Spirit of God, come forward. We, we have people up front on the left and right that would love to lay hands on you and pray. What is stirring in you? What is the Holy Spirit lovingly shining light on and saying, hey, I love you, I see you. Bring that to me. Maybe it's a gift. Bring that gift to me. Maybe it's a question. Bring that question to me or an emotion. Whatever it is, come bring it to the, really the foot of the cross. Before we eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus, bring yourself to the cross. And we'll pray for you and invite the Holy Spirit to cover you with love. So feel free to stand right now. Everybody stand. And as you feel led to respond, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. This is a moment to encounter the living God.